0: And would you please take your Scriptures and turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 16. Acts, chapter 16. As you know, the book of Acts is an inspired record of the early church and of the great expansion of the Gospel and the spread of Christianity in the first century. A great part of that missionary work, especially to the Gentiles, was being carried out by the Apostle Paul during his three or four missionary journeys, or as what Guy Waters likes to call his campaigns. We're going to begin this morning looking at Paul's second missionary journey, uh, it's here in the it begins in the book of uh, acts chapter 16 and it contains one of the most significant events in the history of redemption for the spread of the gospel that was the taking of the gospel to the continent of europe and from there to the ends of the earth we are the recipients of that work of god back here in acts chapter 16 Because it was from Europe that we have come to know the gospel. The second missionary journey began as a follow-up to the first missionary journey when the Apostle Paul proposed to his fellow worker Barnabas, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. That was their plan. They had a plan. They weren't simply striking out on a venture. It was a good plan. But as we all learn by experience, what the Scriptures teach, that the plans of the heart belong to a man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Proverbs 16.1 And then also in verse 9 it says, A man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. That's what we continue to see throughout the book of Acts. It's the Lord directing their steps in the spread of the Gospel. We saw the plans of the missionaries radically change even before they got out the door. Uh, It began with this sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. This dynamic duo of missions. These great men, these good men, these godly men. It was over a strong disagreement over who should go with them, particularly whether or not they should bring John Mark, the young man who went on the first journey but deserted them. Their disagreement ended in the separation. Very sad, but it was true. Paul insisted that they not bring John Mark, and Barnabas dug in his heels and must have said, if he doesn't go, I don't go. Neither man blinked, and so they separated. Barnabas and John Mark went one way, and Paul went another, but the Lord was faithful, and he provided a new team for the Apostle Paul. It began with the adding of Silas, one of the leading men in the Jerusalem church, a very godly man, a capable man. And then when they came to the cities of Derby and Lystra, we read in verse 1 of chapter 16, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy. And so the Lord added him. That's the rest. The rest is history, we say. There's this new missionary team, Paul and Silas and now Timothy. And so they set off on their mission work. They go back to visit the brethren in every city where they had preached the word of the Lord to see how they were doing. Well, we learn that those plans are going to change as well. Not only the team changes, but the direction changes as well. They will be sent by the Holy Spirit in a completely new direction. One that they had not planned. One that will have this profound impact on the spread of the gospel. Now, I should tell you that there's soon going to be another member added to this team. And I want you to see if you can spot him as we read this passage of Scripture. We're going to read beginning in Acts chapter 16, uh, verse 4. And I'd like to go ahead and read through verse 15, though we'll not be covering uh, verses 11 through 15. But I'd like to read that just to get the context of what's going on here. So would you follow with me as we begin in chapter 16 and verse 4. And as they went through the cities, that's Paul, Barnabas, or Paul Silas, and Timothy, they delivered to them the decrees to keep to these churches, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. Now, when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go on to Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Before I read on, did you see the new member? Did you see who's going to be going with them? So I didn't say a name. Well, look at the the, the pronouns. That's what you need to look at. We hear a lot about pronouns. Well, they mean something, actually. <laughs> and here he goes from talking about them and they and uh to the we and us. Notice he says in verse ten, now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia. Concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. That's the first time we see it in the book of Acts. The first person singular and the first person plural. We're seeing the we's and the us's. Well, that's Luke speaking. The one who wrote this letter or this, this history of the Christian church. Luke, the physician, now is with them and will be with them throughout the rest of his journeys. And that's an amazing thing and a wonderful, kind providence of God. Here's the man who eventually wrote not only the Gospel of Luke, but the Acts of the Apostles. And he's with them right there in the trenches. And he's there with Paul and others and Silas. And he can ask them questions about what happened here and what happened there. And they can tell him firsthand witnesses. So here's a historian with firsthand witnesses at his disposal night and day. All through their travels, I imagine he's asking questions and writing things down as he's ready thinking later to compose this very book that we're reading and studying. So Luke now is a member of this missionary team. And then verse 11, Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonius Macedonia a colony and we were staying in that city for some days and on the sabbath we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made and we sat down and spoke to the woman uh, to the women who met there now a certain woman named Lydia heard us she was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God, the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And so she persuaded us. So here's the taking of the Gospel. To Macedonia, which is the continent of Europe, now it wasn't divided into continents in the way we know it today, uh, but it was still this is was Europe. but we see in verses four and five that things were going well and according to plan. when we come to verse six that's when everything changes now, when they'd gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia. They were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. So we see here a divine roadblock. Their intention was obvious. They intended Paul and his companions to go and preach the gospel in Asia. It was also their intention to go into Bithynia. And Paul was a man with a plan. And he was a man of action. He didn't simply have good ideas with a wish and a desire. He had a plan and every intention to carry out that plan to the glory of God and the advancement of God's kingdom. And it was a good plan, as I've said. And Paul was a stubborn man in a good sense. When he put his hand to the plow, he didn't look back. He was a man of action. He wasn't easily dissuaded or deterred or discouraged. He was persistent. I suppose you could use that word persistent instead of stubborn. He was persistent. We saw that back in chapter 14 in the city of Lystra when he was stoned for preaching the gospel. Stoned, dragged out of the city and left for dead. And then it tells us the disciples gathered around him he rose up and went back into the city. <laughs> now that's persistence. That's persistence. Well, he wasn't going to think no for an answer. He kept going and so he went back when the disciples gather him. Now that's, that's tenacity to get up and go back where you were just persecuted so radically. Acts chapter 20. Paul is speaking to the Ephesian elders when he's about to leave them. And he tells them that the Holy Spirit had testified in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus Christ to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. That's why I do what I do. That's why I'm not afraid. That's why I'm going to risk these things and do these things for His glory and for the good of the human race by taking the Gospel to these who are lost in sin. And so we have this uh, divine roadblock. It says the Holy Spirit prevented them. It prevented them when they went to Phrygia and the region of Galatia. They were forbidden. And then verse 7, after they come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. The Holy Spirit's prevention. They had their intention, but we have the Holy Spirit's prevention. We're not told how the Holy Spirit forbade them from going and preaching the Word of God in these places in Asia, or how He did not permit them to go into Bithynia. But... However, he revealed that to him, it was clear and it was decisive. It may have been by special revelation. As Matthew Henry reminds us that at that time, extraordinary ways of knowing the mind of God were in the church. Paul, you remember, was an apostle and Silas was a prophet, which means both of these men were instruments of divine revelation God in times past has spoken in various ways through the prophets, he says. Well, Paul was an apostle. Silas was a prophet. Now, there were New Testament prophets in those days precisely because they did not yet have the New Testament Scriptures. But even if they had the Scriptures, the Scriptures wouldn't have told them exactly where to go or where not to go to preach the Gospel. We see that God does eventually reveal to Paul and the others where to go and preach. But uh here it just simply says that they were forbidden. Most likely, it was the leading of providence. There was some clear providential hindrance that prevented them from going where they intended to go. Now, Guy Waters in his commentary said that Luke doesn't specify the means the Holy Spirit used to prevent them from preaching the gospel. It could have been a prophecy given through Silas or Paul. It could have been an internal leading from the Holy Spirit that made Paul change his course. It could have been a strong, united, inward impression among the missionaries or through some outward circumstance like illness or Jewish opposition or a legal ban. Luke doesn't tell us. And we must remain agnostic on the question. That means we just have to throw up our hands and say, we don't know. We don't know how the Holy Spirit did. The Bible doesn't tell us. When the Bible doesn't tell us, it does very good little good to speculate. But here uh, Mr. Waters goes on to say Luke's point is that the Holy Spirit is sovereignly directing the missions. Precisely as we've seen him throughout the book of Acts, the Spirit will will uh bring the gospel to Asia, but not yet. Don't go into Asia. Not yet. Later he will in the third missionary journey, but not yet. And so here the these men are are uh, prevented from taking the gospel to those places. Now, when we talk about God, how he reveals things and how he doesn't reveal things, and I said he used to in those days speak by direct revelation, but we don't believe he does that now. I know some think this is putting God in a box, Uh, but sometimes those very same people who warn us very cautiously not to put God in a box, I believe they often put God in their own box. And they, they reasoned that if they saw God working in a particular way at a particular time, they expect Him to always work in the same way every time. Sometimes God does reveal things, even in the Scriptures, in one time and then not in another. And God is perfectly sovereign and has the right to reveal things any way He decides. We all need to be careful of not putting Him into a box. God does move in a mysterious way His wonders to perform. And I'm sure these disciples were, were perplexed when the doors of opportunity were closed in their face. You might even wonder why the Lord didn't make it clear at the very outset where He wanted them to go. Why didn't He just reveal to them when they were back in Antioch? Why didn't He just tell them then that He wants them to go to a certain place? He wants them to go over into Macedonia and preach the gospel there. But God, again, in His wisdom and in His sovereignty, He doesn't tell them. He lets them go. He lets them push on this door, push on that door. Every door is closed and they're hedged up. And now there's one way to go. And we'll see that in just a moment. But Mr. Waters says this. He says, these verses, in these verses, Luke impresses upon us an important principle of Christian ministry. It is that the Lord Jesus is the one who directs his church. Although he does not direct his people today by visions and prophecy, God's providence orders our steps. Sometimes God's purposes for our lives and ministries are not what we had planned. We see this team, we see in this team resilience in the face of disappointment, and abiding confidence in the Lord's wisdom, and their ready, a ready willingness to obey the Lord's word. These serve as examples to God's people in every age. Our responsibility is to be obedient to the Word of God and to both to yield to the restraints and to pursue the opportunities that providence sets before us. So that's a good example for us. They didn't just get mad and say, let's just go home. This isn't working. They kept pushing. They kept pressing. They kept going out to do the work that God had called them to do. They just didn't know yet where or how. But they weren't giving up. They weren't giving in to their disappointments. They weren't giving in to their discouragements. They kept pressing. We can have our plans frustrated all the time. There's a lot of ways in which we're frustrated throughout life. Maybe we have plans. Maybe we have goals. And maybe even growing up from a child, we have these goals. And then when we get older, there's no way that's going to happen. Sometimes something will physical happen. I remember a violin player who was in a terrible accident. Not able to play the violin ever again. That happens. So what do we do? Do we just curse God? Do we get angry with Him? Well, these men, they were sweetly complying with God's providence. They were acquiescing to the will of God. And that's how we should be. Acquiesce to what God has for us. So we have this uh, this roadblock this divine roadblock God stopped them from taking the gospel to those places and we can question that all day long why they need the gospel they need to hear the good news but God is absolutely sovereign in where the gospel is going Now to us the command is wide as the world go into all the world and preach the gospel but God in his providence directs it exactly where he wants it to go at exactly the right time. So here we have in the second place not only the divine roadblock but the divine direction. It's not all negative at first it is. No you may not go here, no you may not go there. But now God's going to open it up and give them divine direction. Until he did it must have been very confusing to them and Somewhat frustrating, but the Lord doesn't leave them in the dark for long. He eventually does bring uh, the the light to them of where they need to go. And so we read in verse 8, and so passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. Um, I want to point out something here is that they they kept moving. (laughs) They didn't just sit there and wait for God to move them. They They kept moving, they weren't simply staying put. And I do believe that God often, if not usually, directs us when we're moving, when we're trying to still do something, even though we're not sure exactly what we ought to be doing. I think about a man he he loses his job. What does he do? he Does he pray and sit and wait? Well, he <laughs> may not find a job that way. But does he pray and look and pray and look and pray and look? Yes, that's what he does. He puts in applications. He makes calls. He asks people to spread the word. He's looking for a job. He does all those things, but he keeps praying. Praying as though it all depends on God and looking as though it all depended on Him. And that's what these men were doing. They weren't just sitting still and said, well, God hasn't told us, so we're going to sit and wait. Maybe He'll tell us. No, they're looking, they're pressing on, they're trying this, they're trying that. And then it says they came to Troas. It's a harbor city on the Aegean Sea, situated on the extreme western point of the continent of Asia. It was the launching point to Macedonia, from Macedonia to Asia and from Asia to Macedonia. And so in the end, they're right exactly where God wanted them to be. They didn't know that. They didn't know that this is where God's going to send them. But they're right across the Aegean Sea from Macedonia. They're right where they needed to be. They just didn't know it yet. And then in verse 9, it says, A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Well, That's what the Lord was doing. He was leading them into that place so that He would reveal to them at that time that this is where He wants them to go. And He does so by giving this vision of this man of Macedonia. Ancient Macedonia has been described as a culture rich in artistic achievements and scientific advances. Aristotle, considered by some the father of Western philosophy, may have composed some of his most important works during the reign of Alexander the Great, including treatises on physics and metaphysics, a branch of philosophy dealing with the nature of reality. So very sophisticated, very highbrow, the period after Alexander's death known as the Hellenistic period is said there was one of the uh was one of the extravagance and wealth throughout the much of the Greek world. The places of entertainment and leisure such as parks and theaters proliferated. It was just everywhere. They had everything. They had it all. The Greeks prided themselves especially in their wisdom and so-called knowledge they had all the wisdom the world can offer, which left them bankrupt, intellectually even. And the Apostle Paul concluded in 1 Corinthians 1.20, Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through wisdom did not know God, It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Some might think, oh, how can we take the gospel as simple as it is and preach it to these who know so much? Well, they're the very ones that need it. And God is not going to bow to their demands. He's going to preach the gospel. And Paul says, I am determined to preach Christ and Him crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block. To the Greeks, foolishness but we who believe it is the power of God unto salvation. John Dick in his commentary said, the request of this man from Macedonia was concise but pressing. It represented the inhabitants of Macedonia as in circumstances of want and danger from which they were unable to extricate themselves and the gospel which Paul preached as the only means of relief. Some of the heathen nations were celebrated for their skill in civil civil and military affairs, and it cultivated with such success the fine arts of painting, poetry, music, architecture, and and statuary. They They had everything. And yet here's this man crying for help. Help because they needed help. Not all of them thought. Most of them thought they needed no help. They're rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. We've got the finest of everything. John Dick said, these attainments, however, related merely to the accommodation and embellishment of this transitory life. Everything they had just had to do with the here and now. And that's all. And that's all. As the psalmist says, They have their portion in this life. In this life right now, that's where they get what they want. Even Jesus spoke of the Pharisees who loved to have the praises of men. He says they have their reward. Their reward is what? The praises of men. Oh, the accolades of their fellow creature. They're hearing it all and that's all they want. And Jesus said they have their reward, don't they? What they don't have is the God of heaven, the God who made them, the God to whom they owe their existence and will one day stand before Him. They don't have His accolades. They won't hear Him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. They'll never hear those words. What they'll hear are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ apart from me i never knew you oh you had everything here in this world you had the riches you had the wisdom of the world you had the accolades of the world but you know nothing of the praise of god he says they had applied likewise likewise to the study of philosophy And had displayed great ingenuity and subtlety in the various branches of geometry, logic, and ethics. But their researches into the nature of God, the source and extent of virtue, the final destination of man, being conducted by the uncertain light of reason, had served only to bewilder them. When they got into those things, oh, they could talk about mathematics. They could build beautiful buildings. They could excel in the arts. But when it came to understanding who God is, what real virtue is, because they were conducted only by the uncertain light of reason, it had only served to bewilder them. Somebody said about philosophy that it's it's like a, a man in a black room looking for a black hat that isn't there. And that's what they were doing as somebody else said that a philosopher uh, philosophy is when they stir up a lot of dust and then complain because they can't see oh they can terp- they can talk they can make your head spin but in the end they don't have an answer oh they speak so fine but they have no answers to the real issues of life and they had so many things, but the one thing they didn't have was the very one thing they needed, which all men need. They didn't have the gospel. They didn't have the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ. They didn't know how to be saved from their sins and be made right with God. You remember when Paul goes there, he ends up going into Athens, the great city of Greece. And he stands there on the Areopagus where this is where the philosophers gathered to hear or tell some new thing. Do you have any novel doctrine? Do you have any novel teaching? Maybe we haven't heard this before. We'll give it an ear. And then another one comes with another novel doctrine. Another novel doctrine. They had all these things. They spent their time in nothing more but to hear or tell some new thing. Bankrupt. And that's where our society is. We're bankrupt. And if you can't see it, then you're not looking. Because everywhere you look, it's bankrupt. Oh, we have so much by way of technology. We have so much by way of transportation. We have so much by way of the comforts of this world. When it comes to knowing who we are and knowing where we came from and knowing the God who made us, and the Lord Jesus Christ, His Son. They are ignorant. The Bible describes the man of this world in this way as those sitting in darkness. In darkness. Sitting in darkness. They don't even know which way to go. They don't even want to think about which way to go. Just entertain them. Keep them happy for a while. Macedonia... Had everything but the gospel, the very thing they needed. Paul and his companions had nothing else to offer them. (laughs) They didn't have riches or wealth. They couldn't offer them fame or fortune. They didn't have food or clothing to share with them. But what they did have was the greatest treasure this world has ever known. They had the treasure of the gospel. Paul would speak of this treasure. And themselves, as just earthen vessels. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. We're just nothing. We're just men like you. But we've got the Gospel. The good news of salvation. They had the one thing that could actually help these creatures. That could really help them. They had the words of eternal life. Oh, they had all their boasted pomp and show. But those solid joys and lasting treasures, they knew nothing about. But the apostles, they had it. They had the Gospel. They had the truth. What is truth, Pilate asked. He asked this to the very one who is truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the light." And Pilate, standing right before Him, says, what is truth? And missed it. The best help you can give to anyone is to tell them the good news of salvation by Christ. And that's what these men were there for. They were ready to do it. And you imagine Paul and his, and his companion as they're traveling and they, they, they want to go into Asia and no, can't go there. Oh, he wanted to go there. He wanted, he, he was dying to go there. Maybe go up to Bithynia. Can't go there. Oh, he wanted to go there. Why did he want to go there? He had a gospel to tell them, to teach them and to show them. Oh, how hard that must have been for him to walk by those places, to pass this city and to pass that city. Oh, they had the same needs that they have in Macedonia. God in His sovereignty said, No, 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 no. go here, He says. This vision from this man from Macedonia. So they concluded that the Lord had called them to preach the gospel to them. And I love the way it goes to that. It says, here's this man saying, come and help us. Paul wakes up or whatever happened. It happened in the middle of the night. Have he waited till the morning or he woke them up then and said, I just had a vision. Here's where we're supposed to go. The vision was a man from Macedonia. How do he know he's from Macedonia? Is there maybe his attire or or his language? How, we don't know, but he was from Macedonia. And he says, "Come over and help us." How can we help them? They knew how they could help them. They concluded, it says, there in verse ten, that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. That was the help they could provide. That was the only help. They weren't there to organize about the social ills of the day. And there were plenty of them. Plenty of them there in that day. But they were called to the work God had called them to do, which was to take the Gospel to the heathen, to the lost. To show them the way of salvation. And it's the Gospel itself that is the help and cure for all of these other issues. Now they knew where the Lord wanted them to go. They knew why. They needed help. And they knew just the kind of help they needed. So they knew what they were going to do when they got there. They're going to preach the gospel. Verse 10 says, Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia. There's no hesitation on Paul's part or their part. Immediately we saw it. They were all in one accord. No hesitation. They were ready. Paul was always ready, wasn't he, to preach the Gospel. He writes to the Romans. He says, as much as it's in me, I am ready to preach the Gospel to you who are in Rome also. I'm ready. I said he's always ready. He writes to Timothy later and he says, be ready in season and out of season. Preach the word. Be ready. As I said, I'm sure as they pass by these other cities, his great heart must have yearned to take the gospel to them as well. He was ready to go there, but God said no. And now when the door is open, he's ready to go. It reminds me of those special operation guys that are... Uh, forces, they're, they're, they're trained so well and, and they know how to handle this situation and that situation and they're trained for years. And then finally they get the call. There's a mission and they jump into action. They're ready to go. This is what they've been trained for. This is what Paul was trained for. This is what he was sent for. This was his life's ambition was to make Christ known. What a blessing this was. What, a, what an amazing thing it was. And then so it says in verse 11, Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city in that part of Macedonia, a colony. And we stayed in that city for some days. They boarded a ship that brought them to Neapolis. And from there they went on to Philippi. The gospel was being taken to Macedonia. And as I said, it's the most significant thing that's happened yet. Aside from the calling of the Gentiles into the kingdom. Now the gospel is being spread. And we are the beneficiaries of that. The Gospel wasn't restricted to the Middle East. But it is now taken to where God wanted it to go first. And where God wanted to go to take it to the world. God is sovereign over these things. God is the one who, who controls where we're going and how we're going to go. And, and what. not only that He's determined the Gospel itself, but God is the one who determines where it goes. What an amazing thing this is about God that He is sovereign over every part of the gospel. He's sovereign over the choosing. Who's going to be saved? He's sovereign over the raising up of ministers to take the gospel. He's the one that thrusts them out into the field. And God is the one who's sovereign over where they're going to take the gospel. It's His gospel. Guy Waters in his commentary said, we also see that the church is called to help humanity. The kind of help we can offer is not political advocacy, amelioration of social ills or mere social guidance. The kind of help we offer is found in the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, freely offered to sinners. Our responsibility as a church is to pour our energies into making the mercies of our Savior and Lord known to men, women, children, Individual Christians now, he makes the point in their calling, may and ought to pursue a wide range of activities to better the temporal welfare of families, communities, and countries. The task, though, he says, of the Lord Jesus that he's entrusted to the church in her organized capacity, however, is an altogether spiritual one that is to preach Christ. And to make disciples and to gather and perfect those disciples through the means Christ has given to His church by the power of the Holy Spirit. Are we as a church, he asked, distracted or wholeheartedly committed to this pattern of living? It's one of the things that churches forget. They forget what they're called to do. Again, that's to make Christ known to a lost and dying world. You see, we can better their temporal situation and there's times we do that, but the main focus ought to always be to preach the Gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the only real hope for sinners. We can patch up some of the social ills of our day and that's all we really do. But the Gospel, that's the words of eternal life. You remember when those disciples were following Jesus and he said some things that were difficult and it says, and many turned and walked with him no more. Then Jesus turned to his disciples and said, will you go away also? And they said, to whom, Lord, shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. God hasn't called us to be politicians as a church but to be messengers of the Gospel. To take that to the world. That's what the world needs. That's what you and I need. We need the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ. Nothing more, nothing less. God sent forth His Son into the world to save the world, not to condemn the world. That's what we need. Because by nature, we are condemned already. But it's only through Him, through Jesus Christ, His Son, that we are made right with God. That we can have our sins forgiven. That we can have them removed as far as the east is from the west. It's through Jesus Christ and what He has done on the cross. When He died for our sins, the Bible says. That's the message that this Christ whom God sent was made to be sin on our behalf that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. He sent Him into the world so that we might be saved. Believing on Him is what saves us. And that was the message they had for Macedonia, this elite part of the world. They needed the Gospel just as we need the Gospel. Have you turned to Christ? Have you believed in Him? I think about this whole matter of the gospel going where God wants it to go. The gospel being preached, and he has the one, he has the authority and right to dispense it however he wants. God withholds the gospel from some, and we're going to look at this more in the second hour, uh, after lunch. But God is the one who withholds not only his spirit, but he withholds the preaching of the gospel from some places at some times and then he gives it at other times it makes me think and i've told you this before that when i prepare i'm often thinking of a particular one or two or maybe several in the church that need to hear it the message they need to hear the message that i'm going to preach and i'll have them in my mind and in my prayers as i'm as i'm preparing and then when i stand up to preach i look out and they're not here they're not here and they might have a very legitimate reason but it always makes me wonder is god withholding something from them that's a serious thing and you know children this is the best place for you to be is to come to church where you'll hear the preaching of the word because you can't be saved without the word of god being preached that's how essential it is And you must have the Holy Spirit opening your eyes. But you have to have the Word preached. And so if you're going to get saved, if you're not, this is the place to hear the Word. Not the only place, of course. I don't mean that. But this is where you'll hear the Word of God preached. Whether it's by me or one of the other men, you'll hear the Word of God preached. The Gospel. That's what you need. You may think, oh, I don't like church. Maybe when I get old enough, I don't have to listen to mom and dad anymore. I'm not going to church. And there've been some that sat right where you're sitting. And that was the choice they made. And I think about that. They have secluded themselves from the very thing that can save them. Faith comes by hearing the Bible says and hearing by the word of God. The apostle Paul said, how shall he said, the Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, but how shall they call upon Him whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless what? They're sent. That's the sovereignty of God again. That's why we pray on in our prayer meetings that God would send forth more preachers. That's what Jesus said. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that He will send forth His laborers into the field. God is sovereign. But you need to put yourself always under the preaching of the Word and pray for that work of the Spirit to open your eyes and open your heart. Next week we'll talk about the internal means. This is the external means. The internal means is when God opened the heart of Lydia to respond to something. What was being spoken by Paul. You think about this. That was Lydia from Thyatira. One of the places that God said, no, don't go there. What if she had not been there in Philippi at the time? She was there probably on business. Extended business. She had a home and all. But what if she's back home? She would have missed it. She would have missed the preaching of the Gospel. Oh, but God was merciful to her. And God is merciful to you. You're still breathing. Now is the day of salvation. And you're still hearing the Gospel. You need to turn from your sins. Believe the Gospel. Embrace His Son. And He promises He'll save you. Let's pray. Gracious.